Hey everybody, it's Jeff. Before we start today, I wanted to make sure that you knew that we have two new podcasts that are a part of the MXU Podcast Network. We have the MXU Lighting Podcast and the MXU Video Podcast. Each one released a couple of weeks ago. There are four episodes in the video podcast and three in the lighting podcast that are now available. So if you have a specialist on your team from lighting or video world, make sure that they know to check those two out. We have interviews with incredible industry experts that I know you're going to want to hear from. So go to getmxu.com slash podcast and download them today. You can also find them anywhere else you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get to today's show. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 115 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom. I'm here with my good buddy and partner in crime, Lee Fields. How you doing, friend? 115. It was almost yeah, man. 115 in Las Vegas this week. Yeah, I have some friends who just got back from Las Vegas. They were there for a golf tournament yesterday. Oh, really? They just went. It's, it, was, it was a corporate event, um, actually, two days ago. And they said when they were playing, it was 105. Yeah, it was hot. Yeah. It felt like July in Vegas. Yeah. But so my, it's actually my neighbor behind me. I've told you about it before. He um, works for a company that does merchandising for the beverage industry. So like if Coca-Cola wants to do a new bobblehead, he might Got be it. the guy they hire to. Or if MXU wants uh, signature Traegers or Blackstones. He would be the guy. Exactly. Yeah. He would be the guy. Or in the case of his partnership with Corona. Oh, my gosh. The Snoop bobblehead that's sitting on my <laughs> desk is awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Masfina, baby. So anyway, um, they were there uh, and they stayed at the Aria. And the whole thing was like all these beverage companies and it was all their clients and customers and all this stuff. So they got to play Shadow Hills, which is a very exclusive, like Charles Barkley, Phil Mickelson, yeah. all those types are members. But uh, you don't just go play. It's like the, the guest fee is like $1,200. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, they had this outing. It was a pro-am. So they got paired up with um, uh, an, a pro from the LPGA. But there were other players there and stuff so they had a great time they stayed at the aria and they had a special concert like the night before the golf with sam hunt he was kind of the surprise musical guest for everybody who was there wow so my neighbors i i knew that they were going to be there and i knew sam was there so i texted them and so my neighbor who's like the mayor of every environment she's in she walks up to phil bledsoe at front of house and goes are you phil he goes, yeah. She goes, do you know Jeff Sandstrom? And she said his face lit up and he was like, yes. So she, she goes, he's my neighbor. I need a selfie. So she gets a <laughs> selfie with Phil. She doesn't care about Sam Hunt. She's just interested in their front of house guy. So it was, but she, they said it was awesome. Like four bar stools, four guys, acoustics. The drummer was just playing like a broken down, like yeah, kick, kick snare kind of thing. Yeah. They said it was like having a concert in your living room. That's cool. It was awesome. But with thousands of people. Yes. But with thousands of people. Yeah. So they loved it. That's anyway. awesome. Yeah. So you were in Vegas working on finishing up 
your show file for the upcoming Hillsong tour. So tell me about that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Adam and Drew, um, saints of humans, they gave me their worship center for two and a half days. It was awesome. That's amazing. So I sent Adam my file and all the tracks and I walked in and he had it all loaded and ready for me. It was like, they just freaking roll out the just red push carpet player. There. Yeah, it totally was. So, so generous and so nice. Digico, you know, Kyle and Ryan are amazing. And they sent me a 338 to Knoxville the week before. I was yep. there for a few days where you came the last half, last part of the week. We did a podcast and some filming with church gear, but I hadn't heard it on a big PA and there's not going to be any rehearsals for the tour. Right. So right. I took it upon myself to go to Las Vegas for two and a half days at Central and actually hear the tracks on a big PA. So yeah. wrapped that up yesterday, flew home last night, picked the kids up from cool. sleepovers this morning and golf this afternoon with Dakota. Awesome. Yeah. So I texted you during that time yeah. and I asked you how your show file held up. So tell me about yeah. tell me about that and tell everybody kind of what you learned. If there's anything that could transfer like yeah. to people who are maybe mixing on headphones or trying to rehearse in one environment and go to another environment, like what what were the big learnings for you? Well, usually the problem with headphones for me has always been the low end being out of whack. Right. And you know, when we were on the MXU tour in twenty twenty one, there was a part of the day where we did like mixing roulette where we had, you know, a bunch of songs loaded in a timeline. And then Jay would pick which song we were going to do. Everybody would put headphones on, had never heard the tracks, hit play, and you get, did, was it 20 minutes that we had or 15 minutes? 20 minutes to build a mix. Yeah, yeah, 20 minutes to build a mix. And I think the first... That was my least favorite part of the day, by the <laughs> way. Every, I was sweating so much every time. It was everyone's least favorite part. Oh. And the the first two times, I think I used... I don't know what kind of headphones, some, some sure 840s and maybe the next time Sennheiser HD 280s. I switched because the low end was just insane. It was either yeah. where's my low end once it went in the PA or holy crap, I I can taste the kick drum, you know? Right. And then uh, Steven Aruda brings me a box of these Neumann headphones and is like, hey, these are the guys at Sennheiser Neumann want you to have these which they're very expensive headphones. They're like 500 yeah. bucks. So I try them. And uh, the the next time we did that, the low end was right because the low end in the headphones matched. So using those headphones for this, I didn't even think about the low end or was worried about it. And it worked. It translated great. So I think having a great set of headphones, you hear people say that all the time, right? Like you need a good pair of headphones. But right. usually you think that means like quality, like some, what's the Sony 7500, 7506? Yeah, kind of the industry standard yeah, the Sony's. Yeah. 99 bucks, great headphones. Every front of house guy from 1990 to 2015 had that pair of headphones. Right. But it actually translating on the low end and then the high end, I think is super important. So yeah. Well, and I think those Sony headphones and others that you mentioned, I think they do a really good job of translating to like near field monitors in the studio, okay. which is which is kind of what originally I think guys were using them for. Yeah. And then they went to live just to kind of have a way to listen to stuff. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that they were necessarily 
like pre-mixing yeah. and then translating it to a PA like you were doing or like a lot of people do nowadays. That's true. That's kind of a new thing, huh? Yeah, yeah. So they would use them as a way to kind of solo stuff in the headphones yeah. while they were in front of the PA yeah. just to make sure that signal was clean and they were getting what they wanted or the troubleshoot something or whatever. But to use it as like you were doing as a way to actually build a mix, yeah. that's probably still pretty rare. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, but but to know that those Neumanns held up as well as they did and translate yeah. as well as they do. I think that's that's pretty fascinating. They're in my bag over here. I, I don't know that they have multiple models. I think it's the only one, but it's NDH20s. That's the model. Um, cool. And they're expensive, and they were given to yeah. me. So that is not that does not go past me. <laughs> that They're $500 headphones. I don't think everybody should run out and spend right. $500 on headphones. But I've also never really used headphones, and I've never really mixed a lot in studio monitors, and I don't put in-ears in that much because I have this dry skin issue. So right. that's all. We've been over all We've this. We've been over all that. Right. So, <laughs> uh, But everything else translated pretty well. What I did do the last day was I printed a clip of the board mix, and I sent it to Corey. Because okay. he's doing the same thing. He's building his mixes in headphones and near fields. Yeah. And he said he can judge his own board mixes in headphones and he knows what it's going to sound like on a PA now. He's done it so much. So I'm like, okay, let That's me cool. let me send you this. And on and on Adam's big D and B PA, everything sounded great. I was like, okay, this sounds pretty good. I'm pretty happy with this. And then I sent Corey the board mix and he said the drums sound thin. The, he's like the blend's great, but your drums and like guitars and stuff sound thin, and it's a little bright. Like the vocals are bright, and I thought, oh, okay. So he sends me his board mix from the Elevation tour he just did, with no processing, no compression, no nothing, and it sounds yeah. huge in the same headphones that I was mixing on. And I'm like, okay, something's definitely off. So all I did, I went and looked at the high pass filters on the guitars, bass, and drums, and the guitars. Okay. I had to high pass them in Adam's room to 200. Now, yeah. with, I I flew to Texas and heard the show, and it's all SM57s and real amps, and there's three electric guitars, and it's six SM57s. Okay, so yep. I thought there's a chance that their guitars are coming out that dark, but I don't know. So then I lowered those high pass filters to 140, which is a more reasonable number for an electric guitar. Like 200 is yep. kind of crazy. And right. then did the same for bass. I just added a little more low end, lowered the kick drum high pass, lowered the snare drum high pass, and then added another click on the API EQ to 100 hertz on the snare. Okay. And that's all I did. I didn't change any levels. And then I. You didn't change any of the rest of the EQ, just no, the high pass filter. No, just the yeah. high pass filters and uh, sent it back. And he wrote back way better. That's all, all you wrote. Interesting. Yeah. So then I'm not listening to it in the PA when I made those changes. I literally just put my headphones on, tried to match what his guitar tone was because it's similar. It's worship, big rock guitar. Right. And um, it, yeah, he was like way better. And so then I unmuted it in the PA and it was like, oh, now it has like, ugh. it had that uh, thing. Uh -huh. So I just left it. I didn't make any other changes. I'm like, it's still a, a safe place to go start with. So yeah, that's where I left it. Well, that's cool. Um, it, you know, just so people know, I mean, we've talked about this a lot too. It's like when you're thinking about tonality and frequencies, just know that you know every frequency corresponds to a musical note, yep. and so it's helpful to know the range of an instrument 
when you're setting a high pass filter because sometimes it's like okay i'll just run it up to whatever and it's cool well you know your comment about the electric guitars at high pass to 200 you know that's 200 hertz is the basically the g below middle c on a piano keyboard interesting well, there's a lot of musical information below that yep. in an electric guitar. Yep. The low E string, the low A string, even the D string are all below that frequency Interesting. in their fundamental note. Yep. And so, yeah, you're getting the chord, but you're not getting the body yep. necessarily yep. when the high pass is that high. So it's, but I'm, I'm interested about, you know, how, and I'm not saying that Adam's PA is flawed in any no, way. No, his room is. Obviously. Though. Every room is different, and there's a low-mid thing that happens in that room if you're not careful. Yep. And so I'm sure that's what you were compensating for. So yep. to kind of to kind of use that as a spot check, I mean, I love that Corey was able to kind of speak into that, and then you could make those adjustments and realize, hey, this is still really going to work great. Yep. So that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's a cool story. It is. Um, and then I did end up making snapshots. I wasn't going to, but there's just a ton of ton of changes with like guitar parts and some of the track levels i felt like i need to do this so i made a snapshot per song and it's only moving the fader of the band instruments at a two second crossfade yeah so pretty that's pretty cool. so well, that'll be safe and then yeah. if there's anything level wise that changes from what you have in your tracks now right. you'll be able to get to those quickly and just make those fader moves yep. as needed yep that's very cool yeah so that was that. So then I'm I'm home all week, and the next weekend fly out to meet the tour. Great. Yeah. So for anybody who has um, that tour coming to your town, know that this is the end of it. So you've got That's a couple of weeks of shows left for Hillsong and Tomlin, and it's going to be a great night. I'm going to try to come see you one night, and hopefully we'll be able to hang out because I can't wait to hear it. I think Corey's going to come to the same city you are. He just told me. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. So that'd be fun. Great. Very cool. Um, yeah. So uh, the tour is on sale. Yeah, it is. It's been on sale for about five days. Yeah. And sales so far to me have been pretty impressive. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the way our people have stepped up and uh, just kind of jumped in with us. I'm, you know, it's funny though the questions that we've gotten yeah. like I'll get a lot of messages or DMs and we've gotten inquiries on the website where it's like um and I felt like we made it clear right we're going to three cities yeah Atlanta Chicago and Dallas yeah. and then we'll get somebody going hey can you come to Albuquerque it's like we're going to Atlanta <laughs> Chicago and Dallas yeah hey yeah. can you come to can you come to you know Bangor, Maine. Yeah. Um, we're going to Atlanta, Chicago, and Dallas. Yeah. So, but we tried to be, you know, other than maybe some of our West Coast friends, we tried to be as good as we could be about being driving distance from just about everywhere. So, you know, I know it's it's hard if you live in the extreme Northwest or the extreme Northeast. Yeah. But, man, or, I'm telling you. Or Florida. You can drive to Atlanta from Florida. It's not that bad. That's true. What's the drive to Fort Lauderdale? Like eight hours? Yeah. That'd be the long one. Yeah. If you live in South Beach, Miami, you're going to, you know, I'm looking at you, Gomi, you're going to have yeah. <laughs> a long drive. But the great thing is that there are a lot of airplanes nowadays that fly through the world's busiest airport. That's true. So if, you know, and 
O'Hare is no slouch of an airport either. So Or DFW. Neither is DFW. So I know that flights are costly, but um, in terms of just availability, we tried to keep it so that everybody could could make their way. And you got a lot of time between now and then to save your pennies for a plane ticket. So September 9th is Atlanta. We're kicking off the tour at Buckhead Church, and we cannot wait for these days. It's going to be all time. And it is a single day event. It says that on all the ads, but we're getting that question a lot because like, we've changed a lot since we started this whole thing. Right. (laughs) I think that's an understatement, you know? But we, we're trying to um, influence and help as many churches as possible and as many team yeah. members as possible. And in order to do that, we knew we eventually had to add an event like this team day where it's audio, video, and lighting so that you could bring your whole team and experience the same things that all of us audio people have experienced since the day one of MXU. So yeah, that audio-only event is not going away. We're going to offer those in Knoxville, Tennessee in the future. And there'll be multiple of those where, you know, before it was one in Chicago, one in LA, one in Orlando, one in DC. Well, those are going to be happening year round in Knoxville. So more on that later. But this event, the MXU tour from henceforth, did I use that word right, Jeff? Henceforth? Henceforth is a great word to use in that case. Henceforth, the MXU tour. From now moving forward, yes. Will be a one-day event for audio, video, and lighting team members. Yes. I think what got confusing is that we kept saying it was going to be the same as the second day of our two-day events. Right. That was just an example. Yeah. These events are one day, and it's for the whole team. Yeah. What's really encouraging to me is actually the number of people who are buying multiple tickets. It's they're actually getting, all of them. They're getting the message that this is for more than just an audio person, more than just a team leader. Yeah. This is for everybody on your team. And we have some uh, bulk pricing so that you can basically, for every four tickets you buy, you save a hundred bucks. So for from now until the time early bird is finished, yep. you can you can basically get um, some savings if you buy your tickets in batches of four. So yeah, 125 bucks. So we, we're still trying to make this as cheap as possible. When we started this thing back in 2015, you know, it was $99 and we avoided as long as we could raising the price on that. But hashtag, well, we didn't make any money. No, we didn't. We didn't. Hashtag supply chain, hashtag inflation, (laughs) hashtag all the things, all the reasons why. Um, But it's still, I think it's still just a freaking killer value. And Clint Humphrey bought 16 tickets for his team. Clint. Yeah. And they're out in West Texas slash New Mexico. That's right. They're probably two hours from Frisco. Right. No, they're they're in uh I think they're in Fort Worth, but it's yeah, the west side of Fort Worth. So he's he's a little lucky he can bring that many people. So yeah, I'm freaking stoked about it, man. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Um, Rusty, Daniel. Speaking of those two fools, they're at the PGA championship today, and you and I had to bail in Tulsa. I'm very frustrated by that. I so this will this will tie into our interview today a little bit because I had to make a choice that was best for my family but not the most fun for me. Okay. <laughs> Basically, I've been traveling a lot and I'm going to be traveling a lot this summer. And so Liz was like, um, 
yeah, this this weekend away that you're planning is probably not the wisest choice to go. And the and the craziest part, though, it's Jeff. You're obsessed with golf, right? Right. This is your thing. Yeah. And we got offered free tickets to attend Saturday and Sunday's round of the PGA Championship. Yeah. The second major of the year. Yeah. Which, Have you ever attended a major? I've been to the Masters, but I've never been to the PGA or the uh, US yeah. Open or the British Open, of course. Right. So, so for you to do that, I mean, I, I get some, I get a few points at home. But I the hope other, so. yeah, the other issue with that is that on Tuesday of this week, we're hosting a big golf outing that's going to take up a lot of my time during the week this week so yeah that was part of it was okay you're gonna be gone friday saturday sunday come back monday and then be gone again on tuesday right. um yeah for golf right know, so and yeah. i was like uh yeah and it was it was better for me to watch from the tv so right well, well that's done. what i'm doing well done but i jeremy was able to take my ticket so rusty and jeremy are together and Daniel's there, and Marcus, and the whole Skylark team. So they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna have a big, a big weekend. I know. And there was no Airbnbs, no hotels available in Tulsa for like the last months, months, right? And somebody that Marcus knows, a wealthy business guy, is out of town, and they're staying in this monstrosity of a house near the golf yeah. course. It's just at his house. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. So anyway, I'm. I'm excited for them, and it'll be good to watch on TV. It's going to be a great finish. I think, you know, we're recording this on Saturday. It's coverage is about to get underway with the final groups, so we're going to yeah dig in with them and have a lot of fun watching from home. It's awesome. So I'll update everybody on our golf outing next time we record. Oh yeah, because that's it's else. going to be pretty special. But yeah. yeah, it's going to be awesome. I hate that you can't be there for that. Yeah, I know. When the, this United thing, I had to kind of clear the decks during the month of May because I knew I had to go prep for it. So right. I just I also had to say no to everything. But you know, I didn't say no. My equivalent equivalent would be like, "Hey, do you want to go elk hunting with Cameron Haynes?" <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been probably the equivalent for me. Yeah, and, and I would have said to my wife, "You can't stop me." <laughs> Probably not. Pro- probably, maybe. I don't know. All right. Well, go get those tickets for the MXU tour. Um, more updates on uh, content in our library. I saw some drafts for edits for our content we shot with DMB that will teach you and your team sound system fundamentals. Yes. We were so excited to travel to Asheville last year to do uh, a couple of days at DMB's North American headquarters. And we got basically schooled by their guys who design and tune PAs every day. So you'll learn everything from just proper deployment, how much PA to plan for, for the size of your space, um, how to use some of their software tools um, if you have DMB products, and everything in between. So it was cool. One of the One of the things that we did that I'm most excited about is we basically designed a PA for a couple hundred seat room, a thousand seat room, and a big room. And yep. basically 
found great solutions throughout their whole product line for all of those scenarios. And so, you know, it's real practical and it's it's not super technical. No. So you don't have to be a touring system engineer to understand what we're talking about, but it does give you a lot of really good insight into what goes into PA design and deployment. Yep. So for all those portable church volunteers, now they're going to understand why you need to time your subwoofer to the pole-mounted speaker on top. Like it gets right. that practical and we explain it in really simple ways. And then we talk about, you know, line arrays in 3000 seat rooms and sub arrays and phase and how subs interact with each other and create power alleys. Like, so there's a lot of that stuff too. So yeah, that is in the edit room as we speak. Yeah, we're excited. And we've got continuing content that's coming out weekly on the Avanta series and the pro presenter series. And people have really loved digging into that stuff. So more to come on those and we're excited. That's great. And we're uh, prepping to shoot more lighting content with Daniel. So we had a phone call last week talking about the next series for all of our lighting friends. So be on the lookout for that later in the year. Awesome. Well, I'm excited about our interview today. Yeah. Um, you were in Vegas working with your show file. And so I sat down with Clay Scroggins, who's been a long, longtime friend of mine from Atlanta. He was the campus pastor at North Point Community Church, Buckhead Church, Brownsbridge Community Church, all over North Point world, and is now um, talking and teaching about leadership to a lot of people. He wrote a book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge that a lot of people are familiar with. He actually spoke at Philo a couple weeks ago, yep. so anybody who was at Philo probably heard Clay in his breakout. It was great. Um, but we, we sat down specifically to talk about just the person that you need to lead when you're not in charge first is yourself. So what does self-care, what does self-leadership look like? So I can't wait for you guys to dig in with us. Clay's got some great insight and I know you're gonna love it. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, I wanted to let you know about a great offer from our friends at The Church Co. They build church websites completely for free. They will handle the migration of your existing website over to their platform and can even manage it for you ongoing. The Church Co. is a complete digital platform for churches, including websites, apps, giving, prayer, small groups, SEO, Google advertising, and more. Best of all, it's integrated with all of the major CHMSs like Planning Center and PushPay, to name a couple. If you're interested in upgrading your website and simplifying its management, use our promo code MXU to save 20% on your first three months. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. A few months ago, we had Paul Cox from Capture Collab on the podcast, and we talked about the importance of storing and organizing all of your church's photography. Capture Collab is a tool built specifically for churches to handle this. From capturing to uploading and then tagging, it's the ideal photo storage and sharing system that lets you never lose a photo again. Imagine searching for photos of people in your foyer holding a coffee and your library scoping down directly to photos meeting those specifications. If you're tired of sending out links and searching through folders, use the promo code MXU to save when you sign up for Capture Collab. Collab. 
Well, I am thrilled today to be joined by my good friend, Clay Scroggins. Clay and I go way back, but for those of you who don't know Clay, um, gosh, his history around North Point Ministries is legendary. He was a campus pastor and a great leader, and maybe most famously, Andy Stanley's son's small group leader when Andy Stanley's son was in high school. Um, so, <laughs> Jeff, I just texted Andy, uh, Andy's son. Oh, that's Andrew. funny. Yeah. Well, it's interesting now that he's a full-time comedian, works for himself, and I am a full-time speaker, preacher, work for myself. Yeah. And so we we play some golf during the work week, and he's like, he told me the last time we played, he was like, you're my only friend that has a flexible enough schedule that you could just play on a Tuesday at lunchtime. Oh, that's hilarious. So um, I actually texted him about playing some golf. But anyway, yes, I was his small group leader when he was in high school, which is kind of a, uh, you know, it's like a make it or break it thing. If it goes well, great. If it doesn't, got to go find another career. That's right. You don't have a future here. I'm sorry. Um, that's exactly right. So for people who don't know, just talk us through a quick, you know, 20 second version of your 20 year history in the organization and what led you to sure. where you are now. Uh, grew up in Alabama, Tuscaloosa, moved to Atlanta to go to Georgia Tech, studied engineering, went to seminary to get a graduate degree in theology, ended up uh, studying this girl more than I studied theology. <laughs> hey, met my wife in seminary. She uh, went to, she's from Texas. She's a Texan named Aggie. Uh, so graduate from Dallas Seminary, start working at North Point when Brownsbridge uh, Community Church was opening in 2006. I was the high school pastor there, and then about a year later, moved to North Point to be the high school pastor there for four years. Had all three of Andy's kids in our student ministry, and then uh, became the campus pastor back at Brownsbridge, campus pastor at North Point, and then most recently, I was the campus pastor at Buckhead Church. <laughs> Uh, in which is in the city of Atlanta, so which is where I am now. We still attend church there, but I resigned eight months ago, and now I'm uh, doing this full time. I think my bio on my website, Jeff, says uh, speaking about leadership used to be a hobby, but unlike my golf game, it's not a hobby anymore, or something <laughs> like that. So it is my full time. I, I read a bio recently of yours that basically described you as a leadership junkie. So I'm not sure what that means, but. Um, <laughs> It's good. Well, you it's know. better than being a leadership guru. Yeah. I'm certainly well, not going to call myself a guru, but I love talking about it. Learning yeah, about admitting it. that you have a problem is the first step toward recovery. So that's <laughs> that's important. So for those of you who've been around uh, us for very long, you know that um, Clay wrote a book a couple of years ago called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. And I recommended it to everybody who is a part of our tribe because most of our listeners are production leaders or production directors in some capacity, mostly in churches, and they're, they're leading a team, but they're not the final decision maker on a lot of things. And so what I, what I love about the book is that it talks about how the fact is we're all in charge of something, even if we're not the ultimate authority in our organization. That's right. We all have something that we're in charge of that we're responsible for, and we're responsible for the people and in our case, a lot of volunteer people who have been sort of entrusted to us to steward their their care, their development, their their skill, their serving, their in some ways spiritual growth because of the way they serve mm -hmm. and have an opportunity to kind of help people take a step in their faith through the way that they serve. So the book was such an encouragement and led to your most recent project, which is basically how important it is 
in that leadership to talk about how you lead yourself. And so we've talked a lot around MXU this past year about self-care and the importance of leading yourself well. So I just wanted to spend some time today kind of, we can go down as many rabbit trails as we need to, but as someone who has led a large organization and has been around an organization for whom production is a really high value, you know, there's a tension sometimes between um, sort of keeping the standard of excellence, yes, but not at the expense of the people who are executing that. And mm-hmm. it's it's a big deal. We talk about it a lot. And so I just wanted to get your your thoughts, your best practices, tips and tricks from the senior pastor side, even of <laughs> what what we need to look out for in terms of blind spots, landmines, pitfalls, but then how we can encourage each other and get on the good side of doing all this well. So I know that's a big setup and a lot to talk about, but I figured we'd just go and see where we lead. Great. Well, the Jeff, the thing that, one of the things I was most excited about other than seeing you and getting to catch up with you was this group of people that you all serve through MXU is one of the hardest working group of people in the church because, you know, I, I know particularly during COVID, I mean, during COVID, our production people you know, there were a lot of people whose jobs were kind of like, ah, what do I do now? Production people didn't even have time to ask that question. <laughs> right. I mean, it was just like, I mean, on it now. I mean, now all of a sudden you got 17 new things that you got to do. And in some cases, in addition to what you were already doing. So I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to say thank you for one. Thank you for the energy, the effort, the work you put in. I think it's remarkable that you all have created an organization that's trying to serve those that group of people. Uh, in, in light of your question, I guess I'll start with a a slightly embarrassing story about myself that might set it up. And I don't know how many people will be able to relate to this, but I I would imagine someone would. So about, I I would say my internal stuff came to the surface, started coming to the surface about three years ago. I was, they were trying to convince me to change jobs and I wasn't sure it was what was best for me. And I couldn't figure out why they wanted me to change jobs. You know, the, my instinctual response was, because they love me so much, they can't get enough of me, and they just <laughs> want to promote me again. That was what my positivity said. But of course, on the other side, there is, oh no, are they not thinking I'm doing a good job? Are they worried about something? Do they think I'm failing? And I remember having this one conversation with my boss, who uh, I worked for someone who worked for Andy Stanley, so a couple layers removed. But uh, I'm sitting in my boss's office, I had asked him if I could meet with him. It was on a Thursday afternoon. Our weekend in the church world was Friday and Saturday. So, you know, this was kind of the end of the work week. And I wanted to meet with him because we had had a meeting on Tuesday that I was getting some of the feelings of, uh, oh, are you all looking at me like I'm a failure? Hmm. Are you looking at me like um, this is not what you hoped it would be? And so we start talking about numbers, about data, because that was what we were looking at was some data that was uh, pointing to the fact that things weren't going as great as they could have been going. Data is not emotional. Data is black and white, right? It's right. just, it is what it is. Um, and I'm not, a, I'm not a highly emotional person. I mean, I've cried at work over a great baptism story. I've cried at work, you know, Who losing someone. Yeah. Who hasn't, exactly. <laughs> But other than that, I've never cried in a meeting. I've never cried in a conversation. And I felt these emotions start to rise up in me, which I've, I would, did in that moment, what you have done, what we've all done many times, which you know I, I tell my emotions 
now's not the time. You right. know? Especially when you're talking about numbers. Yeah. We're talking about numbers and I'm talking to my boss and there's, this is not an emotional conversation, but I could feel my emotion rising. Well, the emotions to personify them, it was as if they said, oh no, we're coming out right now and there's nothing you can do about it. So I'm sitting in my boss's office. We're talking about numbers. It was a heated conversation. I was, I was feeling some things that I wasn't aware of and I started crying. I started losing it. Honestly, I started like crying to the point where I couldn't talk. And my, my boss, who is a pastor, is sitting there talking to me, who is a pastor. And like you, Jeff, I've sat with plenty of people who are crying. And you know what to do. You know, you either give them some space, right. you tell a joke, you ask them if you can pray for them. That's kind of the last ditch effort. <laughs> and so he does that. He looks at me and he says, uh, after asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. He told some jokes that didn't work. I'm still, every time I try to talk, I'm crying more. So he says, may I pray for you? And I look back at him and say, no, you cannot. (laughs) (laughs) The most non-preacher answer there is. Exactly. Which that's, that was rock bottom to me when I was like, no. And I, and I said that because I was like, I know what you're doing. You're, you're, but I know you genuinely want to pray for me, but I I just didn't, I didn't want that in the moment. It's just not what I need right now. Yeah. Not what I need right now. Or, or, or go pray for me like in another place or whatever, but I need to leave is what I need to do. So anyway, the, to, to close the story out, I ended up leaving. Of course, I see like three people that, you know, had questions about Sunday. They were like, and they quickly were like, oh, you know what? We'll just save that for later. I'll, I'll you catch know? you on Sunday morning. We'll just, we'll just catch <laughs> exactly. up later. Exactly. So I go get in my car. I cry all the way home. I'm sitting there with my wife and she's like, what is going on? She sends the kids upstairs. She's like, they don't need to see their dad this way, you know? And she's like, let's talk. Like, what is going on? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, which is usually the first step in the problem. As you mentioned, jokingly, um, you got to be aware of it if you're going to have any chance at fixing it. And you got to be aware of it if God's going to enter in to help us fix it. But that was the first step for me was going, okay, what am I feeling? What am I experiencing? That is not easy to do. And that's particularly challenging for people I have found that are in the production space Mm -hmm. because these are highly analytical, oftentimes technical people who, um, you know, in in a sense have less emotions than other people and certainly are not in a place where they're always aware of their emotions. Right. But that was a big step for me was to become a detective of what I was feeling. Hmm. Do you relate to that? I do. Yeah. I think especially in, you know, we're a... I've, I've used this phrase a lot, you know, we're a tribe of nerdy introverts to large degree and who are, uh, and a lot of times just sort of head down Sunday's coming. We've got rehearsals to run. We've got gear to maintain. We've got a job to do. We've got planning center requests to mail out. We've got all this stuff and the sort of the doing takes over and it's rare that we have enough margin to just sort of heads up. Okay. What's really going on here? And and the other thing is, if if you're if you're afraid of that vulnerability, even with yourself, it's easy to fill your time and fill your schedule right. with bus- right. with busyness to the point where it's like, no, I can't even think about it because there's so much to do. And I, you know, I've heard story after story in the last couple of years of guys who have reached that point of. Yep. 
oh crap, something here is going to break and I don't know what this is. And trying to get inside of that, you know, it, it's one thing to say, hey, you need to go talk to somebody. Oh, okay, great. But what does that, what does that actually mean for, yep. you know, how, how to sort of crack some of this open to even know where to begin? So uh, cheers to you for, for going there and being willing to, to do that. Well, I didn't choose to. Well, unfortunately, it just it kind of happened. They to me. just they just came out, yeah. <laughs> but to your point, Jeff, what I, I was going to jump on is you're so right. What ends up happening is because what what it, it's really it's oftentimes a symptom of emotional masking mm-hmm. of you know in the same way uh, white noise masks things that we don't want to hear. We all use distraction to mask the things we don't want to feel, mm. and work is the most common distraction. Uh, obviously, social media, you know, maybe learning, even podcast. I mean, re- anything can be a drug. Everything can be something that we use to mask those things we don't want to feel. And that's what I had to figure out that I was doing is, oh, I've been. This has been there for a while. It's not like the emotion popped up out of nowhere, but it had built up so much because I had not been dealing with it. Mm. And so I, uh, two thousand, I think it was two thousand nineteen. It was right before. 2020, when everything, when the world fell apart, I released this book called How to Lead in a World of Distraction, which um, is the least successful book that I have ever released. (laughs) I I had a buddy who said, I just released a book in January called The Aspiring Leaders Guide to the Future. And I had a buddy who said, hey, I knew the How to Lead We're Not in Charge book. And I I saw you have the new one, but I didn't realize you had one in between. I said, well, you are not alone. (laughs) Loads of people did not realize it either. It's but funny because I've seen like how to lead when you're not in charge was in airports. I saw it like yes. it was a big deal, and and it's a great it's it's a great book. But I, do you think that do you think the reason for the second one not being as successful is because it's something people don't want to hear, or they don't want to deal with? I do think that's part of it. Uh, the a guy in the publishing world told me when I, as I was talking to him about it, uh, in, even in the last year, he said it's kind it's kind of a brown bag title. It's a book that you don't want to show people that you're reading. You don't want to show people that you're mm. distracted. And it's also mistitled. The book's not really about distraction. I think people see it and think, okay, I get it. Get off my phone. You know, quit looking at the internet so much or whatever. Right. And that's not really what the book's about. The book is about the best leaders are the most emotionally healthy people. Hmm. And I love what you all are doing where you're emphasizing, obviously, audio, video, lighting, but you're also emphasizing leadership because every single human being affects people, impacts people, has the opportunity to influence people. And that's what leadership is. And so to be great at your job you have to become a better leader. And the best leaders are the most emotionally healthy people. They're the ones that have turned down the noise, turned down the distractions low enough and long enough to pay attention to what they're feeling because the first step toward emotional health, the first step toward trending toward emotional health is, do I even know what I'm feeling? That's step one. Wow. You know, uh, I always use that. You remember Tommy Boy? Did you? Were you of a course. fan of Tommy Boy? Jeff? Yeah. Who? Who wasn't? Of right? all, listen. Of all of those movies, like the that to me is the gold Dumb and standard. Dumber, all, that, yeah. all that, but uh-huh. Tommy Boy is the gold standard by which every other movie in that genre should be measured by. Yes. Well, at the end of the movie, where you know Farley and David Spade are going to Chicago to go meet with Zelensky. Um, they, you know, he, he feels like he smells. And so he takes the taxi cab, that, that tree from the taxi cab rear view mirror and wipes it all over himself. And then he get, you know, then they go, Oh my gosh, it's Zelensky. And so then he runs through, he, he, you know, unintentionally holds up the bank and then he gets on the elevator and he's standing right next to Zelensky, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Aykroyd looks over at him and goes, 
went a little heavy on the pine tree perfume, didn't you, kid? <laughs> Chris Farley goes, he goes, actually, it's a car, it's taxi cab air freshener. He goes, great. First step is identifying it. Next step, washing it off. <laughs> so did, in, the, in the same way that the first step is identifying the emotional noise, the emotional whatever it is that you are feeling, I mean, that's the first step. And yeah. It might be I feel passed over. I feel overworked. I have resentment because I feel like they are not paying me enough. I feel anger because I've got some lack of forgiveness with my dad or whoever. The first step is identify. The next step is, okay, now what do I do about it? What do I do about that emotional pain or that emotional shrapnel? And that's where a counselor can really help. But what the book's about is the book's really about these four, I mean, they're ultimately spiritual disciplines because they're the things that God has given us to keep a rhythm in life where we are actively turning down the noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious Hmm. of what we're feeling and inviting him into that, inviting him into the process of going, so God, I feel, I feel like a failure. You know what? Actually, I don't feel like a failure. My issue was I felt like I was being perceived as a failure. Hmm. I don't think I'm a failure, but I feel like they're looking at me like a failure. What do I do with that? And that's where I feel like I was able to see so much progress was, you know, when you allow God to start helping you wade through that, you know, the first step was I, I, I sensed my loving heavenly father going, hey, real quick, um, who gets to decide if your life is a success? Hmm. Oh, you know what? Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not my boss. Not my it's boss. It's not the people that I work around. Probably not even me. And probably not even me. Exactly. Might, might be you, you, God, actually. Well exactly. done, good and faithful servant, all that stuff. Yeah, that, <laughs> exactly. that, that might come into play. So do you feel like the reason that it came up in that numbers conversation was because at some level you felt like, oh, no, they actually found me out or this these numbers are actually proving that I'm right, that they do think I'm a failure? Like it, how much of that was what was kind of bubbling to the surface that was out of control. Definitely the numbers were making it look like I was not succeeding in my job. Now I was, what we were arguing about is I was arguing that we were looking at the wrong numbers, which of course that, that would be like anyone, you know, to say, you know, let's recount the votes or whatever you want to say, you know, especially at that time, that was a, that was a pretty timely time to have that conversation. (laughs) Exactly. But yes, uh, that was what the argument was over the way I, um, I I did. I found this illustration as I was trying to explain this to my wife, because my wife kept being like, screw the numbers. You're not a failure. Like you're doing great. You're, you know, and I had had a lot of success as an author and was getting asked to speak places. And so, you know, and the job wasn't going It's not like everybody was sitting around talking about it is what she was trying to convince me of. But I was like, well, it felt like they were in this meeting because you look at these numbers, whatever. And so I said, well, I said, hang on a second. I said, here's the the way it feels. Um, I said, imagine if you're trying to lose weight and you're doing everything you know to do. You're eating right, you're exercising, whatever, all the things that you do to lose weight. But every time you step on the scale, the number keeps going up. Hmm. You would feel like, gosh, I don't know how to do this. And so I, I, that was what I was feeling was not only a sense of um, I'm being perceived as a failure, but also, yeah, I, for the first time in my life, I felt like I was running into something that I was like, I don't know. And, and, and what I was trying to get people to do, Jeff, was come to church more. I mean, that was the number ultimately was how many people attend our church, right? Wow. And so I felt like we were doing everything that I knew to do 
but the number was not increasing. In this case, the number continued to decrease. And so I, not only did I feel like I was being perceived as a failure, but I felt inadequate. I felt like, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do and I, I can't fix this. I can't mm. master this or I can't figure it out. And that's a, that's a very difficult feeling. I mean, everybody's felt that at some sense, you know, yeah. some, some place in your life where you, and, and God takes us through that. I mean, he does it to form us and change us and make us and grow us, but it certainly does not feel good. Wow. So when you were talking about um, leadership, you know, one of your main theses is that leadership is influence and that, that that's why everybody is actually a leader is because they all have potential to have influence when they interact with those that they lead or just those that they serve with or whatever the case may be. Um, and so as you're trying to maximize that influence and capitalize on that, the only way to be effective is to have enough self-awareness and self-leadership and emotional health to be able to be vulnerable and transparent enough for that to be authentic. You're so right. If not, then you're going to be perceived as a fraud anyway. Whether it's whether it's to others or or within yourself, you're going to know, you know, everybody everybody knows at some point what it feels like to to feel like you are a fraud within yourself. And so yeah. that that awareness is so impactful for how we're and you know how we're able to have any influence at all. Can I give you know maybe a couple things to look for, a couple things to pay attention to? I would say the first, the easiest one would be those moments where you're giving a dollar response to a ten cent incident. Mm. You know those moments where you 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 lose it at home with your kids because they didn't put the peanut butter back in the right spot. You know <laughs> something that does not matter at all. Couldn't matter less. Yeah. And you, you know, and, and, and we're all, you know, in the, in the heat of the moment, you're like, doesn't matter. It does matter where the <laughs> peanut butter goes. You know, you'd like argue like to right. the nail to de- defend your stance that the peanut butter should go in this place. Um, I, here's a ministry example of this. Uh, you, you know, these people that were involved with this, but I was, I was at our, um, I, I, I was invited to speak at our high school camp for years until I turned 40 and aged out of getting to do that. Which, it happens. Jeff, I don't, that, that ought to be a, that, that's a great MXU conversation is what do you, what do you do when Man. other people are trying to put you out to pasture? But anyway, so I'm standing <laughs> backstage behind the pipe and drape. I'm about to go up on stage in the middle of a session. So, and I'm about, I'm about to speak the bands up there. And I, you know, I, I don't know, I, I love music. I don't know how it all works, but I could tell something was going on because the worship leader was taking longer to set up a song than he would normally take. Yeah. Um, and the drummer, I could tell, was fidgeting with this computer. So I assume you, at some point, cue a track from the computer, perhaps? Yeah, probably click, yeah. A click, maybe. And he couldn't get that to go. And he was messing with it and, you know, whatever. And the worship leader kept looking back at him. At one point, looked back at him with this, like, pretty stern look. <laughs> get it together, <laughs> <And> kid. <laughs> exactly. So in this case, the drummer's this big dude from South Georgia, and... The song, they get it going, whatever, the song ends. They're walking off stage. There was like a two-minute break. There was like a title package between me and when I had to go up there, which I was great because I was like, I want to see what happens here. 
the drummer looks at the worship leader, gets up in his face, and he said two things. Number one, if you ever look at me like that on stage again, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> That's one way to handle it, you know? And he goes, number two, whatever you've got going on in your life that's that close to the surface, you need to go figure that out. Whoa. I was like, oh my goodness, Dr. Phil backstage (laughs) dropping some pop psychology bombs back here. I mean, what a great statement that basically this worship leader had given a dollar response to a 10 cent incident. I mean, this is a relatively small thing. Yeah, because whatever was going on, it was not about the click track. No, exactly, Jeff. Exactly. It was about something way deeper, something that had been there longer. And so I would pay attention to those moments when you feel those moments of why am I losing it over this cable not being able to wind the way it should or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are the times where you got to make yourself stop and go, okay, what's in there? Like, do I feel overworked? Do I have no margin? Am I feeling like a failure? Am I putting all this pressure on myself? Is my pride being threatened? Whatever it may be, it's worth asking those questions. How long has this emotion been there? Where did it come from? Uh, I I use the term, um, you need to, um, you know, like, like Jack Bauer would do. I mean, he would take you know, this is all fiction, right? 24, he would take people and waterboard them to get an answer out of them, right? Um, you should do the same thing. You should investigate. You should, um, you should investigate with even a sense of cruelty, your emotions, mm-hmm. right? Don't just allow them, you know, oh, anger, jealousy, inadequacy. We didn't know you're going to be here, but come on in. We'll make room for you. That's the way most people treat their emotions <laughs> as opposed to like, you know, Liam Neeson from Taken, I don't have a lot, but what I do have uh, is a particular set of skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. That's yeah. what we should do to our emotions because you can't just dismiss them and kick them out of the car, but they sh- definitely shouldn't be driving the car. And in that moment where you're, you know, given the dollar response to the Tencent incident, your, your emotions are whipping you around mm. and it's keeping you from becoming the kind of person you want to become. And it's ultimately keeping you from influence because we don't want None of us want to be around volatile people that you don't know what you're going to get. You know, we want to be around people that are able to emotionally handle things, absorb things, pause in the moment, process things, slow down in the middle of, instead of everything being rushed. And um, the more you're able to investigate those emotions and go, all right, where did this come from? The better you'll be as a processed, trending toward emotionally healthy kind of person. And it'll just naturally help you as a leader. Man, that's so good. Okay, so you said there were a few things. So what else you got? Yeah, so you got you to gotta pay attention to what's in there. You got to pay attention to those dollar response to the 10 cent incidents. But then you got to pay attention to your rhythms. You got to pay attention to those, you know, those things that God has given us. Like how much silence do you have in your life? Do you have any moments of meditation or quiet time or whatever you want to call it? Um, you got to pay attention to that voice that's speaking to yourself, you know, that constant conversation that, man, we are all our own worst critic, right? And if you allow that voice to win and condemn you and accuse you and tell you that you're worthless or that, you know, you didn't just fail, you are a failure, uh, you got to pay attention to that voice, which is why, I mean, this is why we sing songs. This is why we recite scripture. This is why, why we, ha- the church has creeds because it's a way of allowing, turning up God's voice in our mix. It's, 
it's the process through which we let his voice tower above all the other ones. Yeah, it's like it's like in the Psalms when David says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul." He's telling himself to remember to give God love it, credit and praise, and he's like, sometimes you just have to you just have to tell yourself what you have to do. It's like, That's okay, right. okay, soul, this is not true what you're thinking. This is a That's voice right. a voice from the enemy that is trying to get you to believe certain things that aren't true and you just got to preach to yourself sometimes and and scripture allows us to do that i mean it's why you know uh having a a disciplined you know reading the bible in a disciplined way when you start working for a church does not become easier you know in in a way it might even become harder so i mean even you know this year one of the things that i set out to do this year was i got 10 guys that go to Buckhead church that I know and just invited them to say, Hey, let's all read the Bible together this year. And we're just doing the Bible reading plan, you know? That's great. And sure. There are moments that feel like, uh, you know, feels like it's discipline or I'm just kind of getting through it to check the box, but you got to do that. I and mean, you got to have those moments so that there are the moments where he, you know, has something to say that speaks right into something I'm going through. Well, that's a huge point because for people who are, quote, professional Christians, you know, when it's your job to talk about and learn about the Bible, when it's your job to put on church services, put on a service or lead and produce worship experiences. It's like, for me, there were times when I'm standing behind a console at a Tomlin concert and I'm feeling like, man, I'm, this is great. I'm going to church every night. I don't have to worry about (laughs) personal disciplines or church Mm. habits because I'm here all the time. And it's like, there was one moment in particular where God basically hit me over the head and said, "Hey, worship by proxy is not what I've called you to. You're not wow. you're not here just to sort of feel like you checked a box because you're hanging out with Chris Tomlin. No, it's where is your worship? Where is your personal mm-hmm. engagement? Where is your um, relationship with me on a one to one personal intimate level?" Because mm-hmm. all this other stuff that you're doing for other people and helping them experience these things is great, but it's not necessarily the key impact for your faith. And it's hard when you're when it's vocational, it's hard to untangle that and make it two separate things. I mean, not just hard. It is the hardest. I think ministry has got the greatest opportunity to jack all of us up, Jeff, because you're exactly right. We, <laughs> yeah. We're so easily deceived into thinking that I am, because I work in a ministry, that I am even uh, experiencing the fruit of it or even uh, participating in the positive nature of it, which is just not always true. Yeah. The last thing I would just say is whatever you can do to take a sap, you know, the Sabbath, the, the, the discipline of the Sabbath is so helpful in turning down the noise. The point of it is it's a 24-hour period or maybe a vacation during the summer or or whenever you take a Sabbath. It is the, the process by which we turn down the noise to put work in its proper place, to put God in his proper place, to put ourselves in our proper place with him. And I know that there's probably people today feeling overworked or feeling like, well, they just keep throwing more events on my plate or throwing more responsibility, or they said we were going to hire and we haven't. I would just say as much as you can take 
matters into your own hands and say, hey, my work, how much I'm working is my responsibility. And finding a way to take a Sabbath to say, all right, this is the 24-hour period. I mean, I really believe in a weekly Sabbath. I just think it's a rhythm that God has given us as um, not just a command, but really as a gift and as a, um, a, a the best way to live. And so I would just challenge anybody who feels overworked to say, hey, have you started with doing that very basic thing of going, I'm going to just, I'm going to make myself take a Sabbath. I think that's the first place to start. And then the second place is to learn how to speak up and tell your boss or learn how to draw boundaries or learn how to say, well, hey, listen, here are the 10 things I got to do. Would you help me figure out? I can only do five of them. Help me prioritize them. That's Some good. of those conversations, which would be, those are not easy either, but those are the ones that you got to start having. That's really good. So in the few minutes that we have left, speaking of conversations, as a senior pastor with a lot of experience leading an organization, what are a couple of things that you would say to production leaders, like from the senior pastor side of the of the conversation, what are some things that you wish they knew about what you're trying to carry, or what are the things that annoy you to no end about production teams, or whatever you would want to say to production leaders as a from a senior pastor side? Yeah, I, I that's a I love this conversation, and I you know I would love to if I were sitting down with people that were listening to this, I would love to say, and then, hey, tell me on the flip side, you know, tell me what senior pastors need to learn as well. I, I was a campus pastor, not necessarily a senior pastor, but on the campuses that I led, yeah, I mean, I have, I, I've, it has been a joy to get to know and build relationships with and lead uh, production people. I mean, some of the things that would be really helpful, Jeff, in response to your question, number one, I would say, learn the budget inside and out. You know, a lot of times, People, I would have production people come to me and make significant requests. I mean, the, the majority of the money is spent in church production. Yeah. And so these discussions are hundreds of thousands of dollars discussions, but they would ask me about new gear that we need to buy or tell me that we needed to. And it would, it would be like, I would, I, I, I rarely got the sense that they understood the way economics worked. I rarely got the <laughs> sense that they, because a lot of times they, it would just seem like they thought there was this bucket of money sitting there that we could just go get. And why are we not? And it's just, why would we, or, or that it was endless. And I know they didn't mean to do that, but that was the, it, at the very least, if they just recognized, Hey, I understand how it works. And I know there's a finite amount of resources and I'm familiar with how big our budget is, how small our budget is and what it was last year and what it's going to be next year. And, um, the more familiarity they have with it, the better the conversation can be because it at least shows me that they have, that they understand that. Um, second thing I would say, I think I heard uh, Elizabeth Lincoln, who worked in service programming at North Point for a lot, I heard her say this one time that she said, um, people that are not production people want to oversimplify every situation. You know, why don't we just change the stage for next Sunday? Or why don't we just make the speaker fly above the stage? <laughs> like, that would be great, you know? They undersimplify. But then she said, but I also, working with production people, have noticed that they tend to overcomplicate most things. Mm. And I don't know if that's true or not. I do know that I've had plenty of production people tell me that I am oversimplifying things, that it's not, it's more complicated than, and I can't understand it, but, or I don't understand it. I would just say as much as we can meet in the middle on that and say, all right, I'm going to try to commit to not assuming this is just an easy, you know, take, it'll take you an hour on Tuesday, right? Can't you just do that? <laughs> I'll do my best to not do that. If you will do your best to not 
treat every situation like, well, there's no way you can understand it because you're not a production person. That's so Because good. that doesn't help either. I mean, it would be more helpful if they say, hey, let me try to, you know, what's the Michael Scott thing? Let me try to explain it to a fifth grader, you know, actually try a second grader, you know, try explaining yeah. it to a second grader. But isn't that the case with everything though? It's like anytime we get into extremes, there's going to be a problem. Totally. Anytime there's an always and a never conversation, anytime it's, well, you always assume this, or you never do this, or she's always this, or he's never that, that's going to be a problem. So the more you can avoid that and come to an understanding of some middle ground, yes. it's going to be more helpful. Yeah, I definitely think so. And then the third thing that came to my mind immediately, Jeff, was just Whatever work, you know, part of my job as a campus pastor was to manage the anxiety of my boss. Hmm. Meaning, what is my boss most worried about, most concerned about, most interested in? And I would just say for production people, I think learning how to do the same thing is really important. Learning how to go, all right, you know, th th this was always a big challenge. Somebody would come and say, hey, um, we've had our projectors for 10 years and they're about to die. We have to buy new ones. <laughs> And I would be like, okay, let's define about to die because we had church on Sunday and there were images on the screen. So <laughs> when do you think, and, and what I wish would happen is if they would say, here maybe is a different way to approach it, to say, um, hey, I'm worried. Our, our projectors are to a point where I would not be surprised if one of the bulbs or one of the whatever went out in the middle of the service. How tragic would that be to you? Hmm. Because if they approach it that way, I would go, okay, that's good to know. So you're telling me that might die. Now, if the front of house console died in the middle of the service, um, yeah, we need to replace that. That cannot happen. But we would be able to survive if the left screen went out at the 11 o'clock service halfway through it. We'd be able to fix it during the week or get a rental or whatever during the week and fix it uh, and, and have a replacement. That would be the way I would want people to to approach that conversation, but, but it requires them to know what is most important to him or to her. And, and do I even know that? Have, have I had that conversation? That's so good, man. I feel like we could keep going and going and going, but um, unfortunately we can't, but we'd love to have <laughs> you back at some point to continue this conversation. Well, I, would love to be back. I think it's, it's so helpful and so valuable. So for those folks who are interested in digging in more to the emotional health conversation, what's the best way for them to find your resources and to get some of this material in their own hands? Well, they can go to my website. It's got the weekly investment that I'm trying to help making people. Um, I mean, the books are all wherever books are sold, but clayscroggins.com. And then my email is just clay.scroggins at gmail.com. So if there's anything I can do to help anybody, hit me up email me. That's not like some ghost email that somebody else handles. That is my real actual email. But if I can do anything to serve local churches, I would be honored to get to do it. So that's awesome. Let me know. Well, Clay, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great. It's always great to see you. Thank and you, I, Jeff. I love that we get to just keep the conversation going. Me too. Let's go play golf soon. Well, looky here, folks. Another special appearance from Dadu Worldwide himself. Um, it's daylight where you're at, but I see Union Jack flags behind you. I am in the United Kingdom of Great Britain in London itself. Are you in the city right now? 
I'm in London. Yeah, I'm in London proper. I'm, I'm in one of the little burbs right outside London, Ealing. If you know where that is. What are you doing there? Work or family? Family. One of my cousins. There's 20 of us, so someone's always getting married. Um, yeah. Thank God we're still on the first round. Uh, I guess my, num- <laughs> my my number will come at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Like playing the lottery around here, you know. Uh, I could show y'all. Uh, there's, there's, you'll, you'll see a large group of Indians. No, I can't. It won't let me turn the camera around. But um, yeah, uh, one of my cousins getting married this week, so I landed this morning. And um, we are on the second activity of the day. It's basically about seven days. This Indian wedding is about seven days of something always. So that's wow. wild. Yeah, it's great. So, what are y'all doing? Well, we just finished the podcast. We're on the uh, the outro right now. You just missed the interview with Clay Scroggins, who I'm sure you know. Oh yeah, love Clay. Um, I got nothing good to say, so I'm glad I wasn't on it. Perfect. <laughs> just kidding. I, I actually love Clay so much. I'm so glad y'all got to interview him. He's a good. He's a good one. Yeah, he is. It's good, and, and you would have loved so it. Down, he's so down to earth. Yeah, yeah. I've always enjoyed his realism about like kind of cultural climate and just kind of understanding where people are at. So I like that. That's good because he talked a lot about that in the interview. So you'll have to listen back to episode one one five and catch up. I will do. So when are you getting back? I am here for the week. I am going to be in here till the 28th. Okay, good. Well, as soon as you get back in town, we're going to do one of these with you on the whole thing because we miss you. Well, I love y'all. Glad I got to pop in. Thanks for texting me. All right, buddy. All right. Have a great week. Everyone tune in for the Queen's Jubilee celebrations that are happening here over the next two weeks. God save the Queen. I'll take your word for it. Tell her we said hi. <laughs> that crazy lady won't answer any of my texts. It's weird. All right. Weird. I'll talk to y'all soon. <laughs> See you, buddy. See well, it's always great to hear from Jay. Dadu Worldwide is literally worldwide. Last couple times we've talked to him, he's been I know somewhere in the world that we're not. So good for him. I know. He is good. He is such great style. He's at a you know formal party. He looks great. Y'all couldn't see him, but yeah. he's got swagger. Brown suede jacket, pocket square. Yeah. I mean, Jay can pull it off. I love it. All right, man. All right, man. Let's go get to watching some golf. And All um, right. hope everybody has a great week. And get those tickets at getmxu.com slash live for tickets to the tour.